Okay. Amen. Okay, I'm going to be in Genesis, the 37th chapter, so you can, you know, get there if you want. And uh, I'll be reading probably from a different version than most of you have, but that's okay. It doesn't matter. You can kind of get the gist of it. I want to talk to you probably this week and maybe a few, mo- a few other weeks about Joseph. <coughs> now, there was four individuals that shaped Israel's history. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Joseph is kind of the unsung hero of the Old Testament to a certain degree. He's the one that's kind of compared to Jesus a lot. In a lot of sermons, we compare Joseph with Jesus and and, and how their lives kind of were similar. But he's kind of the unsung hero of everything that's going on. And Joseph was chosen, of course, to deliver Israel Israel during the famine that he was going to bring about. But the problem was that Joseph wasn't ready for his calling. He wasn't ready for God to be able to use him in the way that he needed to use him. So something had to happen in his life to change him. Now, uh, Joseph had three robes in his life that he had. The first robe he got from his father, and that robe ended up leading him into a pit. His second robe was caught by Potiphar's wife, and that ended up and led him into prison. The third robe, Pharaoh gave him, and that lent ended up leading him into a palace. So there was three different robes of Joseph that he wore in his life. And I don't know how many robes that we have in our lives, different areas of time in our lives that we have. We have, you know, some of us maybe have three, some of us maybe maybe four or five. And different things have happened in our lives that we've had to, God has had to use to change us and who we are. Now, Joseph's life, it was a nightmare. A lot of his life was a nightmare before he became the emperor of Egypt. His life wasn't always rosy. His life wasn't all the wonderful things that, you know, we think about. We always kind of think of Joseph, and and we're more inclined to, to kind of look toward the good things that happened in his life. Wow, he was second in the kingdom and the empire, and he was all powerful, and all these things were going on. We like to focus on those kind of things. But most of Joseph's life wasn't like that. A lot of his life was getting to that point. And maybe you're here this morning and your life isn't all that great right now. Maybe your life isn't what you want it to be. I know my life isn't. We all need to change, want to change into who God wants us to be. But sometimes God has to use circumstances and has to use things in our life in order to get you from here to here. Sometimes if we were just obedient good little children, then we wouldn't have such a long journey. We'd be able to just say, okay, God, that's it. I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to do it. But generally speaking, that isn't the way that it is. I'm, all, I'm very stubborn. If you know me very much, you're going to know that I'm stubborn. Man, my dad and I, you, we used to argue about our points of view about different things, and it was almost like sometimes we just automatically chose the wrong side so we could argue. It's fun to kind of do that, but I wouldn't back down on my opinion. He wouldn't back down on his. So sometimes God has to use circumstances to change our attitudes, to change our hearts, and to change who we are. And that's what happened to Joseph. Now, dreams, he's known as the dreamer. A lot of dreams kind of things associated with him, and they called him, his brothers called him the dreamer. But dreams usually, in our lives, they usually don't mean anything. I've had a lot of dreams, and sometimes it's just because I ate pizza the night before. 
or ate some weird thing or something like that and got indigestion and it kind of showed up in my dreams. And we get up in the morning with her, man, what in the world did that dream mean? So we can't really put a lot of weight onto our dreams anymore. Sometimes they do mean something. But generally speaking, we can just kind of just rule it out unless we can find something that uh, is going on in our life. So dreams generally don't mean a lot of things to us. They have no meaning at all. But in the Old Testament, a lot of times they do mean something. We know that God spoke to uh, the wise men in a dream, telling them to return to the east without going back to Herod. We know that he did that. We know that he spoke to uh, Nebuchadnezzar in a dream, with a dream and a vision. We know that he spoke to Joseph, G uh, Jesus' stepfather. So he would flee to Egypt so Jesus wouldn't be dead, wouldn't be killed when uh, Herod got ticked off. And then we have Joseph. And Joseph was spoken to by God. And that's what the story is. That's what we're going to talk about this, this, uh, this morning. It's about Joseph and, and his life. And I know that we can correlate our life with some of the things that happened in, jo in uh, Joseph's life. Genesis, the 37th chapter, we're going to start with the first verse. Jacob lived in a land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob and Joseph. A young man of 17 was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Beliah and the sons of Nilpha his father's wives, and he brought their family, their father, a bad report about them. Now, in the Jewish culture, or not just the Jewish culture, in that culture, there was, uh, they had primary wives, and they had secondary wives. Now, we know that Leah and Rachel was Jacob's primary wives. They were the ones that were basically what you'd call his real wives, and these Zip, Zipla, whatever their names are, Zippa and Beli, were the handmaidens given to Leah and Rachel by their father. So they were just basically servants or slaves, if you want to use that word. But they gave them to Jacob to wife in order to have children because Rachel, of course, was uh, barren for a long time. And in this setup or in this system that they had, the primary wife's kids were the one that kind of the elevated. So Joseph, being from the primary wife, would have been kind of in charge of his brothers and in charge of the flock. And he was the one responsible for the flock. He was the one that would basically the boss during that time. And when we look at this story with that idea kind of in mind, then it kind of makes a little more sense when you understand the culture. That's why it's important to study God's word and understand kind of the culture because things make a little more sense to us sometimes than they do normally. So when Joseph was giving, giving bad reports about his brothers to his father, it wasn't... He was a tattletale. No matter how you look at it, it's a tattletale. And don't we hate tattletales? Man, I hate tattletales. When I was a kid, well, a teenager, my dad used to make us take our little brother with us every place we went. If we wanted to go skating, we had to take our little brother with us. And that was the thing when I was growing up that dates me. And we'd go to skating about every Friday night, we'd go skating. But he made us take him with us every place we went. And we couldn't do anything because he was home telling my dad about it before we got home. And, man, we'd get in trouble. So we had to kind of sneak around from our little brother, the tattletale. And, man, I just like to, you know, just beat him up because I hated it. So I know how his brothers felt. I don't like a tattletale. I want to go have a good time, and I don't want anybody to tell my daddy. Of course, 
my um, sister, you know, kind of usually didn't get as punished as much as us, but I'll get to that later. So we know, but he, if he was given these Brad reports, yes, he was a tattletale, but if he was the steward or the boss, he was just being a good steward. So there is kind of a different way that we can kind of look at that. Yeah, he was being a tattletale. Maybe he could have been a little kinder with the things that he was saying. And they might have been true. The stuff he said might have been true. The stuff my little brother told my dad was true. You know? Isn't it funny how we want to kill the messenger? That's the society we live in. Let's kill the messenger. It's their fault. So we don't like it. So, but that might have been what's going on during this period of time. And when we look at it like that, it could explain a lot of things that are going on. And some people, some theologians believe that maybe his brothers were involved in the Canaanite lifestyle. Now, we remember last Sunday night, we talked a little bit about this, that when uh, J Joseph, when Jacob come back to Bethel, he had everybody get rid of their gods. They got buried all their foreign gods and got rid of them because he had that encounter with God at Bethel. And so he had everybody get rid of their own, all their gods, and they were only going to worship God from then on. So maybe they reverted back to a little bit of idol worship. Maybe that was going on. If so, then this kind of gives us an indication that Joseph maybe was a little more sensitive to God's voice, maybe a little more sensitive to obeying what God had to say. So it doesn't matter what was going on here, but he still could have been a little kinder in what he was doing. So uh, verse, 30, uh, th verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had borne to him in his old age. Now this isn't old age as far as what we would say because we also know that Joseph had a, little, a younger brother named Benjamin. So we know that he, could, that he couldn't have meant his, his youngest kid because this isn't a reality. But if we look back at the Jewish culture, actually what it says literally in Hebrew, it says son of old age to him. The Hebrew phrase for a wise son, one who possessed observation and wisdom above his years, an old head on young shoulders. So evidently, uh, Joseph at this time, at 17 years old, he was, had a lot of wisdom about him. He had a lot of understanding about different things that was going on. And this was noted by his father. And that's why he said he was a son of my old age, because he was a, he was a son of wisdom. Somebody that any parent would be proud of. Aren't you just proud of a kid that just excels in school? excels in sports, man, it makes us so proud. Man, we just love to brag on our little kids that have do wonderful things. Little Johnny, who's uh, not quite as obedient, that doesn't quite do the things that we want to do. Hey, well, we got to have something to brag about, right? <laughs> so, but anyway, <clears throat> that's what was going on there. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. And could not speak a kind word to him. Now this is a message to all us parents who show favoritism to their kids. Something that God doesn't want us doing. And J Jacob was not right in doing this. He shouldn't have done this. Because he caused a lot of problems in his family. Because he did this. Because we have a tendency, like I said, to reward the one that excels in things. It's kind of something natural that we do. You go into somebody's house, you got one son that's an athlete, and all over the living room, there's this kid's picture on everything that he did, and here's little Johnny, he doesn't do anything. And so we kind of forget about little Johnny. And then we wonder why little Johnny grows up and he doesn't like his brother, and why he hates sports. 
Well, maybe we contributed to it as parents. So we had to be real careful and ask God for wisdom on knowing how to deal with these kind of situations. It's all right to give the attaboys because we want to do that. But we want to give the attaboys to everybody. We want to be able to take the other kids and to be able to nurture them and help them to grow up so they can be proud of their accomplishments. I remember I had our youngest, or our youngest, our middle boy. He has a, he's kind of a little handicapped, and so he had a hard time with his whole right side. You know, he's right side. I don't know how many surgeries he had trying to correct these these things that was wrong with his, with his hand. And so his arm was kind of always tight, and he hardly had any use, a lot of use for it, and he, couldn't, he pedaled a bike with one leg when he was a kid. But I never babied him, which was you know, kind of hard not to do as a mother when he couldn't, wasn't excelled or whatever. But I remember one time he wanted to play baseball, and I thought, oh, no, you can't play baseball. They're not going to let you play. They're not going to do all this. And it's just going to be an emotional down for you. And I thought, well, man, he wants to play. Okay, so I worked with him, and I played ball with him, and we played catch. And he had a hard time because he, you know, could hardly, you know, move that arm. But they always, they put him out in right field. Now, if you know anything about baseball, that's where nobody hits the ball, right field. So if you got a bad player, that's where they go. And so, and, of course, Little League, they made him play everybody, so we got to have a turn to play. And, you know, all the kids that played good and the game's on the line, you know, oh, no, don't put him out there, don't put him in the game. So I sit there and watch the game, and, you know, my heart's, <laughs> as you are the mother, oh, no, don't let him lose the game for him. Don't let him, you know. And then he couldn't bat very good and all these things. But I remember he was out there in right field, and the game it was, you know, one of those close games that was going on. And so he was out there, and they hit the ball, and guess where it went? Right field. And I thought, oh, Lord, have mercy. So he went out there, and he caught the ball. He caught the ball in his little hand, you know, whatever, and he caught it, and he had to go like this, put it underneath his thing and throw the ball with his other hand. And I thought, oh, yeah, yay! And I was so excited because to him, that was a hard thing to do. He, oh, man, he accomplished some great thing. Nobody else thought it was a big deal. Big deal, he just caught a ball. But they didn't understand the circumstances and what was involved in him catching the ball. But, man, I'll tell you, that was so exciting. And that was just as exciting as our other boy, who was good at everything that he did. I mean, he could just hardly do anything, and he was always an all-star. That's the way one of our one boy was. That's the way he was. But he wasn't interested in sports. He wasn't interested in all that stuff. Well, what's all the big deal? I don't... But then there's the other boy, you know, that would have loved to be able to have done something like that. So favoritism is not good as a parent. We've got to look, dig down and find something about each one of our kids that we can praise and we can encourage them in because that is just like water to a thirsty plant or a dry land if you don't water it if you have some dry land and you don't water it guess what's going to happen nothing's going to grow but if we water and we take that take that piece of dry ground and we water it and we work with it and we cultivate it and we we plant seeds in there that's what we're doing with our kids we're planting seeds for manhood and adulthood so they can face this world because this world isn't kind. And we don't want to put them out in the world already beat up because then what hope do they have? We want to build them up, not beat them up when they're home. So we as parents have to do that. We have to find something about each one of our kids to make them feel special. I don't know what it is, and you have to ask God for wisdom to do that in order to do that. But I'm thankful that God gave me that wisdom to be able that day to be able to, to do that for him because it made a difference in his life. And that'll be a memorable uh, event in his life. He'll always remember that ball that he caught, that one ball. 
and it could have, you know, made a big difference. So we as parents, that's our responsibility. Uh, verse 5, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to the dream I had. We are binding sheaves of grain in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Now, this was a dream or a communication from God. There's no doubt about that. But he didn't know that. See, he didn't know what the interpretation of that dream was. He didn't have a clue. But he liked that exalting himself type thing. And he didn't care. And so he's sitting there and telling his dream to his brothers where it shows them that they're going to be worshiping him. Now, I wouldn't like that. My brother come up and tried to tell me how important he was going to be. And I was going to be bowing down to him. That wouldn't be something that would have set good in my life either. Especially if he's my younger brother, like the one that gave me all the grief. Man, I'll tell you, I'd just soon punch him as look at him when I was growing up. And that's kind of the same thing that happened with his brothers. It wasn't a smart thing to do. Joseph, yeah, he was ahead. He's wise. He had a lot of uh, uh, things going on in his life. And he, everybody could see it. But he could not, didn't know how to portray it. Sometimes that happens to us. we got something going on in our life, and we're so anxious to tell people about it, we don't think about what kind of effect it's going to have the people, on the people we talk to. They might not like it. And we don't want to uh, separate people from us. We want them to draw them to us. So we want to make sure that we have understanding about things that's going on in our life. And if God's giving us a dream, then okay, ask for God. What does this mean? What do you want me to do with it? Don't go around and, and tell everybody about it because and asking for everybody's interpretation. At least his brothers knew what the dream meant. Joseph didn't, but he, his brothers did. He, they understood it just like that, and they didn't like it. So we have to be a little careful what we're telling people about our visions and about our dreams because a lot of people aren't going to like them and they don't believe that that's going to happen and they're going to put you down and they're going to give you all this negative input and they're going to just maybe destroy your vision or your dream. So sometimes it's better to have a little tact and a little asking God for wisdom on when you're supposed to share these things. So we've got to learn from, jo uh, from Joseph's life because Joseph, although he, was, um, he wasn't likable, he was... Got on everybody's nerves. Wouldn't you hate somebody like that? And he was father's pet. Man, I hated teacher's pet. I hate father's pet. My sister was my dad's pet. I have a twin sister, and she was my dad's pet. When, when we were little babies, now this is what they told me. I, I, I don't remember it, so my memory isn't quite that good. I have sometimes a hard time remembering what I had did last week, let alone, well, that many years and years and years and years ago. But anyway, my sister was my dad's favorite favorite little girl. And my mom says that when we were kids, now, you believe this or not, this is what she told me, that when we were little, I was cuter than she was when I was little. <laughs> when I was a little baby. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, honey. But she said I was cuter than my sister was, so when somebody would come in, people come in to look at twins because there's just something about it. They weren't that common. Maybe now they're a little more common than they were then. I don't really know. But people come in and they'd look, oh, for cute, and they'd pick me up. And, of course, I loved men when I was a little girl. I loved them. I'll tell you, when I was a little girl, I used to, every time a man came in the house, I'd run in and I'd give him a hug and I'd climb up on their lap and everything because I loved men. But my sister, you know, she was kind of, oh, yeah, she's cute too. But my dad, because of this, he would overcompensate. And so every time he'd come home, I don't care, she could be dead asleep. 
And he would, she, he would come in and he'd whisper, hi, whatever. And man, she'd start screaming, ah, till my dad came in and picked her up. And this went on our whole life. Now, sometimes I hated it, but sometimes it was kind of nice. Because when we'd go out somewhere and we were someplace we weren't supposed to be, and on the way home, we'd about a block from the house, I'd say, okay, Sandy, where have we been and why are we late? Because I didn't, you know, I wasn't a very good liar. <laughs> Still aren't. Still not a very good liar. Man, she was a good liar, and anything she said, my dad would believe, and we'd get away with murder. So I'd say, Sandy, where have we been? What did we do? And we'd come in the door, and the excuse would come out of her mouth. She didn't have to think in advance. She just didn't plan it. It was just natural, you know. And it would come out, and he'd believe it, and then we wouldn't get in trouble because she always had my dad's ear. And so she was kind of the favorite. So sometimes it did come in handy, although I don't, you know, kind of recommend it to, um, <clears throat> to kids to uh, do that but, uh, as parents. But anyway, that's what happened. Within the next few years, you're going to know all about my childhood. You're going to know all about <laughs> all the bad things I did. Well, maybe not. Uh, verse 9. Then he had another dream, and he told his brothers, Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this, dream, this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Now, this was something that was unheard of. There's no way in the world that a, a father would bow down to his child in that custom. That was a sign of respect only given to the father. So this was something that didn't sit very well with Jacob either. So he wasn't happy about these dreams that he had either. And we can tick everybody off in our family when we start sharing things that uh, maybe we need to ask God's help and understanding to deal with before we do. Because we can get in trouble, just like Joseph did. So we need to look at his life and say, I don't want to do the things he did, or I may end up in the same kind of mess he ended up in. Uh, verse 11. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in his heart. Joseph kind of or excuse me, Jacob kind of molded over in his heart, kind of like it was there, and he didn't really understand it. Sure, he didn't like it, but there was something that he kind of molded over in his heart for whatever reason. Maybe he knew that maybe this was something for God. I have no idea what was going on. Kind of similar to what Mary did when the angel told her all the things that was going to happen. She was going to have a son, and he was going to save the people from their sin. And she kind of molded over in her heart. She didn't really understand it, but she kind of put it on the back shelf or up on the shelf until later when maybe it would make sense. And that's kind of what Joseph did here. Now, Joseph didn't understand that his talents, abilities, and all the gifts that he had was intended for God's service. And all the opportunities he got was for God, dedicated to God. And that's something we need to understand, too. That everything, the abilities and things that God has given us, he wants us to use for his glory. And we need to ask him how we can use it for his glory. Not flaunt it in front of people. Because that isn't why God gave them to us. God gave them to us. And every ability that we have, God has given to us individually. And it's up to us to use them. It's up to us to dedicate it unto God so they can be used for his kingdom. I don't care what it is. We all have gifts here this morning. We all have talents. We all have abilities that God wants to use. And it's up to us to dedicate them to God, up to us to ask God, how can I use these for you? 
If we're given a beautiful voice and a beautiful singing voice, it isn't something so people can say, oh, she's got a great voice. Oh, wow, an exalted clear up here. That's what we do to movie stars, aren't it? Rock stars. You know, we think they're very extra special people and people. We have idol. What is it? The idol, that whatever it is. What's that called? American Idol? There it is. I don't watch it, so I <laughs> don't know. And they get all excited about these guys because they can sing. And, man, they're just into it. Why? God gave them that gift. God gave them that talent. It wasn't something they worked for, something that they earned. God gave it to them, and he gave it to them for a purpose. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a singer. There's nothing wrong with that unless you're using it in, a, in an immoral way. We need to dedicate every talent that we have to God. I don't care just whether it's music. I don't care whether it's speaking. I don't care whether it's writing. I don't care whether it's fixing cars. I don't care whether, no matter what it is, being a doctor, a lawyer, a fireman, or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Because God's given us all individual talents and abilities. And it's up to us to ask God, how can I use this for you? Because that's ultimately, that's what I want. I want everything that God has given me to be able to utilize for his kingdom. Because that's why we're here. And God gave us talents and abilities to help us to achieve the goals that he has for us. Now, if we try to get ahead of the goals and we try to do things out of God's timing and out of things in our life, then we're going to end up in trouble, just like Joseph did. <clears throat> God destined him for great things, but Joseph had a lot of things going on in his life that God wasn't happy with, and God needed to change. There are a lot of things in our life that God isn't happy with. There's a lot of things in my life that God isn't happy with, and he needs to change them. Maybe it's my attitude. Maybe it's the way that I'm not giving to the church. Maybe it's not being, well, the way I'm not being faithful to God's house. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, there's something in our lives, every one of our lives, that God isn't happy about. And we need to say, God, what in my life is it that you aren't happy with? What in my life do you want to change? Because God wants us to be changed to the image of Jesus. That's why he came. He loved us, so he came. He didn't want to leave us in the circumstances that we were. We're sinners lost without him. And he wasn't happy with that. He wanted to change us. He wanted to redeem us. But he loved us so much he didn't want to leave us in the same condition. It's one thing to forgive us our sins. It's quite another thing to change who we are. Because his goal for each one of us is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And sometimes that conformation or whatever you want to call it isn't comfortable. It isn't easy to go through. And Joseph found that out. He didn't like some of the things that God needed to do, but God needs to knock off the rough edges to soften us up sometimes because sometimes we live in this world and we're so hardened by everything that's going on that God has a hard time molding us. Have you ever tried to mold dry clay? You can't do it. It just breaks up and or that. So God needs to soften the clay. He needs to add something in there to soften, to soften that clay so we can become what he wants us to make us. He's the potter. We're the clay. We sang that this morning. And so I don't like being molded. I don't think anybody does. But God knows what's best for us. And we have to live through and walk through whatever it is and allow God to say, Lord, I may not like it, but I want you to mold me. I want you to change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Because our heart is what God looks at. The external is just things that when we put on airs, all we want. But God looks at the heart, and he knows what's going on in our heart. And this is what he wants to change, the heart. Because then when he changes our heart, then the external things change. Because we're changed from the inside out. And that's the way God works. 
So he wanted to change Joseph, and he wasn't ready to be changed. So God had to force his hand. He had to change him from the guy that he was into what he needed him to be, and that was to save his people. Because we don't know, maybe we're the one God is destined to save our people. Maybe we're the ones that God is destined to save our families. And we don't know. But if we're not willing to be changed, if we're not willing to do what God wants us to do, then what are we going to do? Who's going to do it? So we have to be willing to be able to allow that to happen. <clears throat> but his brothers were so jealous of him, and I don't blame them. I'd have been jealous too. I'd have been jealous and angry and everything else that was going on. Because if you're the chosen, special, anointed one in the family, and it's not you, there's just going to always be that bickering, all that bickering going on. So we have to try not to allow that to happen in our lives. Because maybe we bicker around in the church, because that's our family. Maybe someone else is getting a little more attention than we are. Maybe somebody else is, who knows what? We've got to make sure they say, God, change my heart. Don't let me sit there and think things in my heart that, or just goes against what you want. It doesn't matter. We're a family, and we're all make, made up into one group and one family. We all have our different place in the family. So we got to make sure that we don't allow those things to enter into our hearts because otherwise God has to deal with it, and I don't like the owies that come when God deals with something in our heart. It's painful. It's very painful. Verse 12. One day when Joseph's brother had gone to Shechem to take care of, his father, of their father's flock, Jacob sent Joseph. These two J words are blue. I just brush my teeth. I can't do a thing with my mouth sometimes. I want you to go to Shechem and see where your brothers are taking care of the flocks. And Joseph answered, I'm ready. Immediately, as soon as his father made a request, he says, I'm ready to go. And we need to be ready to go when God makes a request of us. We don't sit there and make excuses. We don't need to, say, give all the reasons why we can't do it right now. I'm busy. I'm in the middle of a video game. I'm in the middle of this program. I'm in the middle of this. I'm in the middle of that. When God tells us something, we've got to be ready right then. And that's what Joseph was. Joseph was very obedient to his father, which is nice. God loves obedient children, don't you? I love obedient children, too. I hate telling kids 10,000 times to do something. Well, usually I don't do that. I'll just punish them in some other way they don't like. And that's what God does with us. You know, if we're not obedient, then guess what? God is going to intervene in a way we won't like. So his father told him, go and see if your brothers are safe and if the flock is all right. Then come back and tell me. So his father sent him on his way from Hebron Valley. Joseph arrived at Shechem and was wandering around in the country where a man saw and asked him, what are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for my brothers who are taking care of their flock. He answered, can you tell me where they are? And the man said, they have already left. I heard them say they are going to Dorthan. Now, I want to note that he never gave up on the task. He kept looking for his brothers. Sometimes we'll go someplace and think that God sent us somewhere, and we go there, and, well, it isn't there. I guess it's wrong. I guess I miss God, and we turn around and we walk home, or we do something different, thinking, I guess I missed God. But if we know that God has told us to do something, we need to keep at it and keep at it and keep at it until we reach the goal that we're set there for. And that's what Joseph did. He didn't care. He looked around and wandered around until he finally found out where they were at. And that man said, said, see, there we go. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dortha, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. They had known they got caught. 
uh-oh, here, here comes the guy, here comes the tattletale. We're going to be in trouble with our daddy, uh-oh. So already, now what can we do? What can we do? We're caught. And like I said earlier, why is it we like to, you know, persecute the messenger? We, we get caught in a lot of things, and we get mad, mad for getting caught. Not that we did something, but that we got caught. That's what's the matter with all these people. Isn't it amazing that when people get caught and they go to trial, they say, oh, if I could change it, oh, I wish I could go back and not do that. Oh, yeah, 2020 hindsight's really good. They're just ha- unhappy they got caught. And that's the reality of the story. They were just unhappy they got caught. And they had had enough of this guy. So they decided instantly, the only way we're going to get rid of this tattletale is to kill him. So they'd already had it in their heart. That's what they're going to do. Verse uh, 19. Here comes a dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to their father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and then they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh. They were on their way to take them, take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother in our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. They didn't like Joseph, and they plotted to kill him. Now, they were out of control. They were so angry, they were out of control in what they were thinking about doing. And sometimes when circumstances happen in our own lives, we just act emotionally. And we don't think about it. And it causes us to do some things we wouldn't normally do. How many people have done a lot of things they end up in jail for? Just why? Because they got out of control. They were out of control. And they got into a big mess. So that's a lesson to us. We've got to make sure that we don't get out of control. But God was ultimately in control of the situation. He knew the things that had to happen and in order to get Joseph from point A to point B. Because God knew that Joseph had to be in Egypt. And how was he going to get him from point A to point B? Ah, here it is. I'll use this. Now, God didn't make this situation happen. God just used it in order for his plan to be fulfilled. So God doesn't create a lot of the circumstances in our life. we got to understand that. Some of the things that happen in our life is because we caused them. How many times do we cause circumstances in our own life? We go to places we shouldn't be. We do things we shouldn't be doing. Well, sooner or later, when we're doing things we shouldn't be doing or going places we shouldn't be going, we're going to get caught, and it's going to be found out. Because the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. And if we know we're not supposed to be somewhere, or we know we're not supposed to be doing something, then what does that tell us? If we have to hide what we're doing, then we shouldn't be doing it. Because sooner or later, it's going to pop up. Sooner or later. You can't hold do things for so long without it showing up somewhere. So we need to know that going in, that sometimes it isn't going to happen that way. We have to learn from the 
things that happen in our life, just the way Joseph did. We may not like them. We may not see what in the world is God doing here. And I've asked that a lot in my life. God, what in the world are you doing here? How come I'm in this mess or these circumstances or this problem that's going on in my life? How many times have I asked God that? And if I track back after I get through the trial or I get through that situation, and I can look back on the situation and say, oh, oh, yeah, I remember now. This is what I did. I did this, and this cause and effect. It's kind of like dominoes. You know, you stack them all up in a row, and you hit one. Well, you hit one, they're all going down. And that's kind of what happens in circumstances in our life. We choose to do things. We choose circumstances in our life or things to do, and they come back and they bite us. And they would say, oh, God, how come you allowed this? Well, God didn't allow it. But you can bet that God's going to use it. He's going to use it to make us better. He's going to use it to make us more mature. He's going to use it to help us grow up because we have to grow up as Christians. God doesn't want us to be babies all of our life. And so if we're babies and all we can handle is just a little milk of the word and none of the hard stuff, then God's going to create, allow, not create, allow circumstances in our life that's going to force us to grow up. I remember when we moved from Colorado, excuse me, from Utah to Colorado, our oldest son, he lived with us. Everybody else was gone except for him. He's the only one didn't want to leave home. And we told him, you're not going. And he was, I don't know how old is he, about 26. And I told him, you're not going. And oh, man, about devastated him. Oh, no, no, you're going to go out, get on your own, and you're going to do things for yourself. And that was hard because, you know, he's lost. He's only lived with his mommy and daddy his whole life. And all he had to do was go to work, do a few little chores he had to do, pay rent. And I, we charged our kids rent. It was kind of nice when all of them were home, and they each paid $300 a month rent. That was kind of a nice deal, you know. And this was a few years ago, so it was, it was pretty, we made pretty good money. And my mom lived with us, and she paid rent. And then she did all the washing and the ironing and, you know, a lot of picking up and stuff. So, hey, man, that was nice. We had an extra, you know, $1,300 a month that we could, you know, blow. And so it was kind of a good deal. But then they started leaving. We thought, no, you're not coming because we knew that he needed to grow up. He needed to start being responsible for himself. And so we said, you're not going. And it broke his heart. And I don't know how long it took him before he got over his anger and forgave us, or if he has forgive us. I think he has now, though, because he found a real, real nice woman that's perfect for him. And if we'd have hauled him off to Colorado, he wouldn't have met her and made his life so much better. And she's everything that he needed in his life. So sometimes God does that with us. He forces us to go places we don't want to go, or he stops us from being able to go places that we shouldn't be going. But if we buck, the, buck against the tide, if we try to swim upstream sometimes then God has to use the circumstances to change our hearts because he doesn't want us to stay the way that we are. We are either going forward or we're going backwards. There's no standing still. Of course, God tells us to stand still and know that he is God, but he, we're watching the circumstances and things that he's doing. But basically, we're confident in God at those times. But we're, if we're just not doing nothing, we're backsliding. Why do people, so many people backslide? It's because they're not moving forward. Because there's only two directions with God. You're either drawing closer to God or you're getting further away from God. And we're doing things we shouldn't be doing. We're getting further away from God because we don't want God to know we're doing it. Of course, duh, he sees everything. And he's going to catch us and he's going to use those circumstances. And he's going to use troubles to get us back in that road that he wants us to be on. 
So if we're in a situation in our life, we got to say, oh, God, help me to learn the lesson I need to learn. Did I do something? Did I make a wrong decision? Did I not listen to your voice? Did I say something I shouldn't have said? Did I open my mouth and cause people to not like me because of something that I said? Did I try not to temper my word? See, Joseph didn't try, pray for understanding. He didn't pray for any understanding. We need to pray for understanding when we're going through something in our life and say, God, help me to understand this situation. Help me to know what I need to learn. Help me to mature so I can be a strong Christian. Maturity isn't something that can be rushed. We can't buy it, and we can't inherit it. The only thing we can do is roll with the punches and walk into maturity. We have to grow in God and grow in grace and grow up. And that's what God wants for our life. That's what God wants for every one of our lives. And we don't need to like the situations that are going on, but ultimately we have to know that God has a plan in mind. And one day, he's going to give us a robe. It's not going to be in the palaces of Pharaoh, but it's going to be in the kingdom. And that's where I want my robe. I want my robe from the king of glory. Amen? I don't care about the robes of this world. It's nice if you can get some of those. It's nice if you can get all these things this world has to offer. It's nice. But hey, I'm waiting for the robe that God gives me. That's the one I want. And that's why I'm willing to do a lot of things that normally I wouldn't do. Because I'm not doing them for me. I'm doing them for him. If I start doing things for me, then I'm in trouble. I want to do everything in my life for him. And Joseph learned his lesson. And I know that God wants us to lose our, learn ours. And no matter what, we're all in different places in our life. We're all going through different things. And if you're not going through a problem or situation right now, just hang on. It's coming. It's going to be around the next bend sooner or later because this is the way our lives are. We go down in the beautiful valleys and where all the problems are, the valley of death. Sometimes we're down there. But if we keep climbing, all we got to do is keep climbing. We don't have to stay down there. We keep climbing, and pretty soon we'll be on the mountaintop. But we can't stay on the mountaintop. Then we've got to go back down the mountain. Because if you want to go from here to there, there's mountaintops and there's valleys and things in between that we have to go through. And we just have to keep walking. And we keep asking God, God be with me. Keep going, keep going, keep going. I want to be like Joseph. Don't you? I want to allow God to use the circumstances in my life. I want him to, to be able to grant me wisdom and understanding to deal with it. And I want to be able to wait for that robe that he has prepared for me. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your many blessings that you've given to us, Lord. And we even thank you, Lord, for the, for the valleys, Lord, and those times and the situations in our life, Lord, that we don't understand. And we wonder how we're going to get through or how we ended up there, Lord. But we're thankful for those times because, Lord, we know it's the way that you use to mature us and help us grow up, Lord, to be the people, Lord, that you've created us to be, Lord. And that's what we want. We want to be the people you've created us to be. We want to serve you, Lord. We want to glorify your name, Lord. We want to dedicate our lives and our talents and abilities to you, Lord, to be used for your kingdom and for your glory, Lord. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we ask your special blessing upon this congregation this morning. And I pray, Lord, that your will would be done in each one of our lives this morning, Lord. And I pray that you put a desire in our hearts for more of you, that we may be able to seek you out and seek for understanding and wisdom, Lord, as we travel through this, through this life, Lord, that you've, you have set before us, Lord. 
And we love you when we praise you and thank you for it, Lord. And I just ask, Lord, that you'd be with each one of us, Lord, as we go to our separate houses, Lord. Let your blessings flow through our lives and through our families, Lord, and make us vessels of honor to you and to your kingdom, Lord. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen.